Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. We have been getting many requests to talk a little bit about the contents of our newest workbook that was published in December, right? Yes, December, called How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery. And we have really appreciated these requests because while, of course, we want you each to be able to have access to the workbook and do the work. We also don't want you to like have to go out and get all of these things. We do still continue to hold our highest value at you really having access to this work and these conversations and these tools. So thank you for all of you who have requested that we do a couple podcast episodes on the workbook. And this is the first one of those. Last week, actually, we talked about the power of living with intention and that was intentionally chosen at the beginning of the new calendar year. It also is how the very beginning, very intentionally, how to meet yourself begins with setting an intention and visualizing this future self. And the next piece or the next section in the workbook is meeting your habit self. So we're going to dive into today's episode on meeting your habit self, what that is, what that means. And then over the next few weeks and months, we'll continue with a little mini series dabbling into the contents of the workbook from beginning to end. So to jump off from the topic of intention into this, I think the reality for most of us is that we're not living very intentionally because we are living from that autopilot. And the autopilot is a really simple way um, to think about what a habit self is. And what our habit self really is, is all of those habitual autopilot out of our even conscious awareness ways that we're caring for our physical body or navigating our emotions, relating to other people in relationships, relating to our communities at large, and ultimately just being ourself. Because again, so many of us, so few of us are, are conscious in our moments day to day. So what we're allowing happen is we're allowing that autopilot to drive our reactivity, our entire way of being. And then we come to believe that that is who we are. It's so helpful the way that you're setting that up with that autopilot and intention, because we are in reality to other people, how we're expressed is a culmination of our series of habits, our physical habits and how we take care of ourselves and also our habits just in our day-to-day -day life in the external world. We may very likely, and I know I'm someone who definitely has had this, where I have an idea or an image of how I am in my mind or how I like things to be. For example, I really like when things are minimal or tidy. And I was sharing this with Nicole the other day. I thrive on that. And she's like, you know, that may be very well and good. And you may think that, however, in reality, like, you know, a suitcase is still unpacked from a month ago and there's still certain things in closets that are disorganized. And you were really right that, yes, I do know that like, I love having minimal things. I'm really at peace when things are very organized. And just because that's so for me internally, my external habits then need to match that for me to actually be in a real alignment. And I think, you know, kind of thank you for, for sharing that experience. I think there's many ways that, you know, we think one thing is the case. And if we're not present to ourselves and all those little moments that make up our day-to-day -day life, um, we might not be present to the reality that there is that lack of alignment. 
Um, because again, the autopilot itself comes, or the habit self, as we're calling it in the workbook, you know, comes from our earliest environments. And there's, if you've listened to our work, you'll hear us talk long about how familiarity is so important. There's a safety in those repeated actions, again, that so many of us have been repeating since early childhood. So the way to think of where our habit self originates, where it comes from, is an accumulation of our conditioning or just the repeated circumstances that we faced in childhood that have then become literally laid down, as I love your beautiful image that you always paint us, Jenna, which laid down like a forest um, in our actual brain in those repeated thoughts in our mind, the beliefs that are then ingrained in our bodies. And again, if we're not consciously aware, will be what drives our day-to-day moments. The imagery of that forest, if you are just tuning in for the first time or don't know what Nicole's referencing, I like to imagine the inside of my mind, all of my habits, patterns, everything that allows me to express outwardly in the world. Those are all neural pathways. So I view all of this as a massive forest in my mind. The paths that are created in my current forest until I choose to become conscious and practice becoming conscious and unlearning, also while unlearning, creating and instilling new habits and beliefs. Until I begin doing that, I'm here in my forest with all of these paths that were laid down for me before I was conscious, that were conditioned into my subconscious during my development and during my childhood. So when I choose to become conscious, choose to become aware, become the observer of my habit self, of that autopilot, what I'm doing is observing these pathways that already exist there. They're there. That's just the case. I can't unhappen it. They're there. Though I also have the ability to create new ones. And over time, when we begin new habits and show up consistently, which is why it's so important to start small and make things digestible so that I can follow through and have the success of showing up. Each time I'm showing up, I imagine the imagery of that as me walking through the forest. The first time I'm going to get hit with a bunch of branches and trees and gravel, there's not going to be a new path there for me. But I trudge through Then I show up again and again and again, and I walk down that same path. Eventually, I create a visible trail that is there. That trail or that new path that I'm laying is a new neural pathway. Over time, with consistent practice and repetition, that then becomes my new auto response. And I think it's it's really important. And as I often do, I break um, change down into two steps, um, really simplified steps, of course. And the first step is becoming aware of what those habits are, because until we're in a different state of our brain, literally state of consciousness, until we're conscious, able to non-judgmentally observe what is the case for us, we're never going to be able to take that next step of making those new choices to begin to lay down or chop down the forest in front of us. And I actually, each morning um, after I journal, I read from a book that um, takes a little passage of the Tao and it kind of translates it and does a beautiful pit of writing um, below each of the little passages. And one of them I read just a couple of days ago really struck me and I think applies to this conversation. So I have it on a little post-it and I wanted to read it here. And it says that prey passes the tiger who sometimes merely looks, sometimes pounces without hes- hesitation, but never fails to act. 
And that really, really struck me um, because, again, when we're talking about being conscious, being aware, it's also about, you know, being honest and seeing those moments where we are either acting in our habits and also part of inaction. Inaction itself, I should say, is also part of our habits and really beginning to become present to the reality that each moment we do have that opportunity to allow the autopilot to take hold, which sometimes for some of us is full of inaction, full of not doing, even though we intend to or think we want to be doing something differently, and then giving us the opportunity to make those choices. And again, having those hard, brutal conversations. And again, I appreciate you sharing yours, Jenna. I've had to have a lot of honest conversations with myself in moments where I either thought I was acting one way, came to find out that I wasn't, or thought I was acting at all and came to find out that I wasn't as well. So for me, that that passage really spoke to me that we are never failing to act, even in inaction, which again, for some of us is that safety, is that familiarity that it, in one environment was what we needed to do, that is still a function of that autopilot. Such an important part that really prefaces everything that you just shared is before you can become conscious, before you can become aware, you must be willing. You must have a willingness and a curiosity to do that for yourself. We, if many of you listening actually may follow on our TikTok, we also share them on Twitter and Instagram, sometimes all of our social medias, but we do these role-playing videos where Nicole is the mother in them. I am acting as the child, though really like the highest self of a child <laughs> who is speaking like they have a PhD or are Shakespearean in some way that we do make it still digestible so you can understand. And really, I think my role in that is being the voice of the child that the actual children of the world in front of us, although this is changing because I have seen some children who are just articulate as can be and very aware, though the child role is representing the articulation and the voice of that child that they don't have in that moment. They don't have that consciousness or that awareness. And usually in these TikTok videos or in the, these videos themselves, the role of the mother gets, it's very it feels targeting for people. People are reactive to it or they do get triggered by it or some even feel insulted or personally attacked by it uh, as, if, as if there's a shaming there. And there is no shame. There is above anything else the highest real inspiration and admiration for parents who are even listening to these podcasts, reading the books, doing the work, even being curious about it while also having children, that's massive. And I reference these because my first response back to the parents who are watching these or the caregivers, caretakers, any human really, is to acknowledge the sheer willingness to look. Because until we know better or until we know something new or different that can be helpful and change and help how we raise our children so that they don't have to unlearn the things that we're unlearning or that we're healing from, they won't even have to do that. In order to do that, we first have to choose to be willing to look and even be willing to see the forest in the first place for what it is without the shaming and the judging and the self-sabotage that can often come with that, or at least acknowledging that shame, lowering the volume on it and putting our focus back on, you know what, I'm really proud of myself for being 
willing to look at all of this objectively for what it is to see the forest, because only then do I actually have a tangible starting point to then choose, like you're saying beautifully, to become conscious and to choose and create different. I really appreciate um, you bringing up that I think immediate defensiveness and reactivity and kind of shift into protective mode that is so natural. And, you know, as much as, you know, we teach from the perspective of where it came from, even we began this episode by saying, oh, these are habits that came from your childhood, having lived the experience of having these awarenesses brought to my attention, even knowing where they came from, I still shifted into reactive defensive mode, trying to argue how that wasn't the case or, you know, people were being mean to me by pointing out this alternate reality because a deeper truth is when we, even as we're becoming aware of where these habits came from, our families, there's, there's a lot of protection that's been wrapped around even our own internal worlds in knowing the truth about those families. So now you have someone who very compassionately, very well intentionally, you know, a, a trusted loved one even, gently offering you these awarenesses because again as i often say we are we're blinder to ourselves we have to in that in that moment hear sometimes a truth that's very difficult to hear about our families about around which we have so much denial and protection and you know it was just sharing from my own journey having had so many moments where i didn't want to hear that even though logically again i could teach oh this is where it came from out of pr- protection in that moment, hearing that truth felt so difficult, felt so intolerable, made me face in a reality that I wasn't even consciously aware of was the case. So I'm really happy you're, you're bringing up, I think, the defensiveness um, that's really natural. And that living in action of allowing yourself to sit in the truth for a lot of us means sitting in the truth of our childhood experiences, which is very, very difficult and which so many of us have gotten so good at keeping ourselves distanced from, to keep ourselves safe from the pain that lives in that truth. Usually, at least in my experience and everyone that I have ever worked with, it is the thing that irks you the most that (laughs) someone shares with you that is, yes, reactive. Your reactive parts come out. It's triggering for you. You might just get flat out pissed off. You don't want to hear it. They're definitely wrong. We get, (laughs) I personally will get very self-righteous and very defensive and I can I keep hearing in the back of my mind now, and I'm grateful for you this, Jake, who Jake is my brother who passed away last November. He always said, if you spot it, you got it. And in moments in particular, since he's passed, there have been things that has lurked in the back of my mind. And Nicole or Lolly will lovingly share a reality or a truth with me that they're holding up the mirror in front of me. And I can feel it turn in my stomach. And sometimes I'll receive it. Sometimes I will not. And I share that because I'm human. This is a real-time, evolving, continuous practice. And if you can start to give yourself a little acceptance and love in those moments when you start to feel that like fire burning or that dragon come, and you know that something they've just said to you has really touched a nerve store that. Give yourself an opportunity to attempt to dive into the wisdom and the power that's in the fire of that trigger. There's something there that is illuminating something that you felt and you spotted because it is true. It is something internal. Like when Nicole shared that about, you know, it you might think that you love living or thriving, you know, being 
super organized or, you know, I like when things look nice around the house, but then you go and open like our art closet or the <laughs> office closet. And it's like, I'm here thinking that this is like, not, not my, all my stuff. It's not all my stuff, but the things on the disorganized <laughs> shelves I went through finally cleared them all out. And I'm like, Oh my God, these are, this is like stuff of mine from Venice two years ago. And I can also see why, because I lived in the same house until I was 10 from age 10 to age 17, when I 17, 18, when I just left and really created my own life on my own for the rest of until now, between 10 and 17, I think I probably moved like 20 times. So my life was literally in boxes. I lived in boxes. I lived in bags. And over time, I just got really used to letting things go or then suddenly going into these massive life purges where I would get rid of everything and I would just have a suitcase and I'd live with a suitcase or a backpack for years and have this sort of nomadic style. But the awareness of that and Nicole sharing that, no, in the moment I defended myself and was like, no, I definitely thrive on this. I know what a thriving aligned <laughs> Jenna is like when I have no things. Well, that was also a single version of me who was literally living out of a backpack, who didn't have a home to fill, who wasn't in relationship. Like, yeah, of course I thrived in that. None of those things are my reality anymore. And now being in a reality with partnership in relationship and in a family and in a home again, the mirror Nicole held up for me was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly like childhood. I'm doing those same patterns. There's stuff shoved here. Like, oh, I'll get to that. Why are there three bags of toiletries and things in my bathroom of stuff that I'll go through later? And then it seems like the later doesn't ever really come. So thank you for that conversation. And then going through, like I went through those closets and also just all the closets in the house, all of our drawers, like kind of OCD, like tidied things. Cause I will sometimes get into a very laser focused, like I'll just get lost doing something and I'll go big in it. I started to do that around the whole home and it feels so good. A piece of me feels so aligned and so free because that is me doing an actual action, creating an actual new habit with follow through that's in alignment with my true self, in alignment with my highest self and the version of me that I am creating and wanting to be. So as I'm doing that new action, I'm quite literally loosening the chains essentially and breaking down this old pattern. That old pathway starts to disappear and a new pathway, a new neural pathway and trail in this forest begins to create itself. It's it's not lost on me. I'm having a little bit of an internal giggle even hearing you use the language of cleaning out a closet because I think, <laughs> you know, for those of you, and I don't know if it translates, I know we have a lot of international listeners in our community. Um, you know, oftentimes we say that, you know, cleaning out our closet when we talk about becoming consciously aware of our past experiences and, you know, again, how much they do impact and how for so many of us, they've just become our familiar home. This is literally who we believe we are, these habits we're living in so much so that we can't even see that they're the result of those daily actions or inactions, whatever they might be for you. And one of the most difficult um, habits, and I think it's important to mention here, especially because we are talking a bit about childhood where these, you know, habit self, where all of these behaviors often aimed at protection originated, 
you know, in childhood, we can't control what others are doing around us or not doing. And, you know, many of us who have been the victim of abuse or neglect, you know, those circumstances were, were never, ever our fault, though. As we become conscious and as we age, we can take responsibility and begin to shift our relationship with what once happened to us with our habit self by becoming consciously aware of it, creating the space to determine if those habits are serving who we want to be or how we want to be in the future. And then we could begin to make new choices. And what I was beginning to say earlier was one of the most difficult habits that was brought to my attention was how I had a habit of externalizing or putting blame on everyone and everything outside of myself for me, myself, my behaviors, how I felt and how I reacted to those feelings. And of course, I understand now the circumstances in my childhood experience that created that kind of victim mentality of the world is causing me harm and I have no control over it and you are responsible for how I feel. And while again, that was absolutely the truth for me in childhood, I had to have that very difficult, very defensive you know, moments in time because it didn't happen overnight where I was able to see and you know explore for myself how well that was working. If I continue to keep myself you know, victim to the environment to the extent that if I don't have any ability to say, okay, the world is happening around me. I can't control what people are doing, though I can take a moment to ground myself in my own presence to determine how I feel about it. And if it isn't working for me, if it's violating me in some way, I can empower myself to begin to create more and more space through boundaries. But all of that had to begin with me seeing how that wasn't the case for me, how I was living such a disempowered, reactive existence because I was literally letting the life around me determine how I felt, what I did with those feelings, and ultimately how I showed up in the world. And that what you just described is a very strong habit in and of itself that so many of us experience going through our day-to-day lives in this autopilot, completely detached, disconnected from our physical self, our physical body and our physical habits, which is what this section of meet your habit self in our workbook, how to meet yourself, that dives into those physical habits. And when we're going through day-to-day in an autopilot, not conscious, unaware Yes, you can eventually make a choice to be willing to look and change that, though before that willingness comes in and before that choice comes in, you're just sort of cruising, not really creating, but allowing life to happen to you, being a victim to it. And I know a lot of people get, we have a lot of feelings about this self-victiming and victimhood and someone in our Self Healer Circle membership actually the other day on our activity feed was posting about their their distaste for people who self-victimize. And I really resonated with that because I grew up also seeing if someone else struggled with something or was in a deep struggle or, or couldn't just really toughen up and put a smile on and get through it, I lacked a lot of compassion for them. And I see that, well, it's because I had to deal with a lot and a lot that no child should ever have had to deal with. And I plastered on a fake little smile and toughened myself up to get through it without the help of anyone else. So that's what I knew. That's the habit and the pathway that was conditioned in my forest. So that view of someone else self-victimizing, yeah, I was 
there was disdain there. Like, well, why can't you do it if I did it? The best and really, I guess the the first opening or the first open door for me to be able to actually reframe that disdain and start to grow that compassion and move forward with that, and I shared this with that member as well, was to get really willing, because it took a lot of courage to be willing to look at the reality of my own actual victimhood in childhood. People who self-victimize were once victims. And so often they've then cruised through their entire life on this autopilot where we end up as adults whose victimhood or the violence, the chaos, whatever was there, the abuse they experienced has never been validated for them by anyone else and never by themselves. It's also never been seen. It's never been acknowledged. It's almost a universally socially accepted denial that the abuse ever happened. They don't know that they're a victim. And me being able to look at little Jenna and take a moment and actually acknowledge and grieve because being willing to see that also means it was painful. It's really hard to admit that and to go through those feels and to validate that for myself. But only then do I then have the freedom to open up to having compassion for others, seeing why I'm self-victimizing, then seeing that pathway, being willing to see that pathway in my mind and choose a different empowering one where I am no longer the victim of the world around me happening to me, but I'm actually a conscious creator and participant. I really appreciate you sharing all that, Jenna, and very true to form for those of you who have been listening to these episodes. Um, you know, I have had a very different experience to the extent that another one of the habits that really became present to me was how, you know, I hear you saying, you know, a lacking of compassion. I actually would err on the other side. If I ever saw anyone or had the idea or awareness of whatever anyone was, you know, what they came from, what they were struggling with. I would completely overstep how I felt about them, our relationship, how their actions were translating to my own feelings. I would almost explain away everything about my experience in service of extending this near endless compassion or so I thought for them and their experience. And again, understanding where that came back from in my own childhood, you know, not having that safety, that attunement, that ability to create space and curiosity for who I am to be able to then uphold boundaries in my relationship actually translate it to me allowing myself to suppress what I wanted, what I needed, and how I felt always in service of someone else. And, you know, again, understanding and giving myself now the space because I didn't have the big or what I thought were the big bad things that happened to me in childhood. I couldn't understand that what I was recreating in all of my experiences were a similar experience that I once had. No space for me endlessly thinking I'm serving someone else and really just accumulating resentment translating into reactivity that ultimately didn't benefit anyone that I was ever in relationship with. And another space to be willing to look is that what we are experiencing or how we're treating others. So we just gave you two very different examples, right? We do have different backgrounds. We come from different spaces. We have overcompensated in different ways. And I really appreciate that about us because it while there's two of us, there's what, 8 billion people in the world. We also know there's so many more and different experiences. So we can share ours. We love hearing yours and what this is like for you and what comes up. So 
Also, please, at any time, head over to our Self Healer Soundboard YouTube channel. Drop us a like and a comment down in the chat. It really has become like a global community in these conversations. But back to what I was just saying, these differences and that overcompensation, what we, how we are treating others is unconsciously also what we are expecting others to give us. When I lack that compassion for other people who are struggling or I get this like, you know, tough and mighty, I can do this. I notice the type of person I am. How and when I say the type of person I am, I'm talking about my habits and then my outward response and what's reacted to the world when I'm going through something difficult and say someone like Nicole who will then betray her own self to go and jump over there in the other person's world. And when she does that, or if anyone else does that and comes to me, I don't like it. I I question it. I don't trust it. I'm like, no, you stay over there in your lane, homie. This is where, <laughs> this is where I am. You stay there. And I n- can see where there is an unconscious, whether we're willing to accept it or not, you will really do yourself a world of good when you are willing to look. We unconsciously expect others to to treat and overcompensate for us how we are doing for them. And if we don't have awareness of how or what our unique set of habits and patterns are, then we're not going to be able to see that. We first have to see it, witness the forest and the habits and patterns in ourselves first so that we can even then identify how that expression is outward to others. How I treat the rest of the world starts first, foremost, and always with how I treat myself. So to bring the conversation full circle, I think it's of note here to acknowledge that we all have habits. Most of us are driven, living most of our time, our waking moments, reacting to those habits or living in that autopilot. And with conscious awareness, with learning how to be in our own presence, we can begin to become conscious of all of those, all of the conditioning, again, that at one time kept us safe, but now might not be translating into the relationships we want with ourselves, with other people, and ultimately with the world around us. And, you know, by becoming present to whether it's behavioral habits, what are the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning? What are your nutritional habits or what do mealtimes look like? We are habitual in every moment of the day. So you can begin by looking at behaviors. You could begin by looking, dropping into your mind and really beginning to witness what are the thoughts that are going through your head? I assure you, you tell yourself the same stories. You narrate your life and the events around you with the same meanings. Look for those repetitions, the repeated behaviors that we're doing, the repeated thoughts that we're having, the repeated feelings that we're having, whether it's about ourselves or other people that we're in relationship with or not in relationship with, or maybe just how we feel being human, being alive. What are our feelings about life itself and the world around us? As we begin to, as I say, turn that, kind of turn those overhead lights on non-judgmentally, you know, not shaming what it is that we see, but just beginning to see then we can begin to create that space where our habits are part of our journey for now. They can over time become less of a part as we begin to whittle away, you know, on a a new path through that forest, but they're part of our journey for now. They're not who we are and they don't have to be how we continue to be in our life. They are, however, Mm -hmm. 
how we show up and who we express ourselves into the world. And to be clear, we are creating this episode as meet your habit self. We are not going to become conscious, meet all of our habits, have all of this willingness, change them, make ones that are aligned all in one felt swoop. That's unrealistic. We are human beings. We are habitual creatures, which means over time, we have to train ourselves new habits. And that's the beautiful thing about us being human beings is that we have consciousness. We have conscious choice and intention to do just that. Sure, trauma created certain pathways in my childhood as a child, well, healing and becoming conscious of those habits and those pathways and choosing new ones consistently, I also have the ability still through neuroplasticity to change my brain and to create new pathways because of that consciousness. So remember that here we are talking about meeting the forest, meeting <laughs> your habit self, being willing to see it all. And then once you see it all, Maybe journal. I do suggest journaling or jotting the habits you notice down somewhere, like your morning habits, the thoughts you think, keeping it in a space that is outside of your mind because the shelves in our mind are so jam-packed and overstimulated with so much stuff coming at us all day from the world, let alone our own individual lives. So take that out of your head. Put it onto a piece of paper, or if you're not a journaler or you can't write, then Type it into something or even at your phone on the very least. Remove it from your mind. Put it somewhere so that you have a space to refer back to where you can start to witness those habits. And even then looking at your phone or looking at your journal, you'll get to see back to you'll get to see back looking at you all of those habits. You won't have to think of them. You'll start to witness these patterns. So it's first meeting all of that. Then from there, the next step is to start to envision what habits are aligned with our future self and beginning a practice to set ourselves up to follow through with those. But first, we must meet ourselves. We must be willing to see the forest. So also give yourselves a lot of love and a lot of compassion and a lot of acknowledgement for tuning into this episode, for listening to it, for watching, for being in the conversation because your being here is a full, complete embodiment of curiosity, of that willingness. So you're already doing that first step by diving in curiously and being willing to look to, which we thank you so very much and are really excited to continue these how to meet yourself conversations with you over the coming months and into this wonderful, beautiful, magical new year of 2023. We'll see you next week.